You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 581 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and today's podcast is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own trip with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that and get rewarded. And uh, welcome into today's show. Today's podcast, most of it anyway, is going to be a deep dive podcast on the NBA draft with Chris Stone of Sporting News. Chris is a good good friend of the program. Had a very nice conversation that we recorded on Tuesday that you guys will hopefully enjoy. We covered basically the entire top 45 guys or so in this class, almost everyone that could be in the Hawks range um, from Zion all the way down. So we'll Please stay tuned for that in a few moments when we get to the, that long conversation, and I'm going to try to do it ad-free for you guys, so uh, hopefully, hopefully that'll be good as well. Before we get to the podcast portion with Chris, uh, two quick news items that came to be on Wednesday, the first of which is not really a huge news-breaking item, but something that was at least noticed in NBA circles, and that's Vince, that was Vince Carter going on ESPN and declaring uh, definitively that next year is going to be his last year. Obviously, I've poked fun at the notion that Vince um, had to, I guess, announce, quote-unquote, like 12 times that he was not going to be retiring, uh, even though Hawks fans knew this long ago. It became big news on, on a number of, of occasions. That was not this. Obviously, we all know he's going to be trying to play next year, but Vince did, um, I guess, definitively say on television that next year is going to be his final season. So a farewell tour, no surprise there given his age that it will only be one more time around the league for Vince Carter, but still something to keep in mind. And it could be in Atlanta. It may not be as well, but uh, there's obviously some... uh some, some positive feelings for Vince Carter. In fact, Kevin Herter even tweeted uh, his willingness to have Vince back and his, his eagerness for that. Uh, I think he's obviously well-liked in that locker room, and we'll see if he returns next season. But Vince will be playing somewhere next year and only next year, and that was what he said on the air on ESPN. The other thing that, that broke on Wednesday was that Tim Bontemps of ESPN was later confirmed by Chris Vivlemore of the AJC um, reported that John Collins is going to be named to the USA Select team that's going to be participating in early August out in Las Vegas. Uh, Collins will not be on the actual USA basketball team. There, there was some confusion there from some Hawks fans that were asking about this. It's a nice honor for Collins to be sure that, but he's on the ten on, on the ten or twelve member select team that actually participates in like scrimmages against the USA basketball team. They always bring in um, some in, some impressive young talent to put on the floor. It's a good opportunity for Collins to get noticed and also uh, sort of rub shoulders with the best players in the NBA. Nothing bad about that, but he'll be out there to scrimmage and uh, com- and provide some competitive environments for the guys who are actually going to be training to go to the next big USA uh, USA basketball event. So uh, no slight there on John. Who it's a pretty cool honor for John Collins. He'll be flanked by some of, the, some of the best young players in the league, and they'll compete head-to-head in practice, and that'll be fun for him. So no downside at all there for John Collins. It should be fun, a nice um, invite for him in early August, and he'll spend some time out there. Um, I'm, I'm not sure we'll do too much on that at the time because it's not really about that necessarily, but it's, it's, it's just a good recognition for John Collins, and that is where we will leave it for today. Uh, before we get to the interview with Chris Stone, I want to take a moment to tell you guys to subscribe to this podcast on the Himalaya app. It's free. 
It's super easy to use and has every single podcast you love or that you're searching for with all kinds of curated playlists. I would definitely heavily recommend the, the Himalaya app. It's a fun place to listen to podcasts. If you, if you don't have a podcast home, make it Himalaya today. We're also available everywhere else, but Himalaya is certainly a place you should be checking out today. Also, we are sponsored today by Untuck It because thanks to Untuck It for sponsoring the podcast. If you are looking for a great Father's Day idea, their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend, so no tucking, no tailoring required. You go to untuckit.com, promo code NBA to get 20% off. Untuckit.com, NBA, untuckit.com's promo code NBA to get 20% off. Okay, without further ado, here is the interview with Chris Stone without any ads. Please stay tuned for the whole podcast, and uh, thanks for listening as always. We'll see everybody next week, barring something crazy, next week will be the next time you hear from me, and uh, here is Chris. Chris, thank you for joining me, my friend. How are you? I'm really well, getting excited about this draft and trying to figure out who in it might actually be good. <laughs> that is the charge of the of the day and the week and the month and the year, I suppose, in this class, because it's, it's not great. Um, everyone kind of agrees on that, at least bare minimum fact. This is not an elite class by any stretch if you go beyond the number one pick. And uh, because this is a Hawks podcast, not a lot of Zion talk for now, because there's just no way it's going to happen. So, um, you know, other than that, I wanted to ask you about a bunch of guys that the Hawks could come in contact with, especially now that there's at least one pseudo-rumor that the Hawks could move up to, you know, the three or four range. So that kind of opens the board up quite a bit. Um, before we get to specific guys, though, are you? it sounds like you kind of are where I am on this, but are you someone who thinks it's like really flat after one, or is there somebody that you think is like a legitimate, you know, like two, three, and how do you how do you sort of view the lottery in this class? Yeah, I mean, obviously you have Zion at the top. Uh, I like John Morant sort of in his own tier at number two. I think he is... Uh, reasonably better than R.J. Barrett in terms of his potential to, to be a star at the next level. Um, after that, I think that, you know, there are some groupings that are are pretty light. Like, I think R.J. Barrett and maybe Darius Garland and Jared Culver sort of group together. And then maybe you have a smaller drop-off. But, yeah, certainly it flattens out after I think you get past two. I think you can make an argument that, say, like, three through five or six are relatively similar. Um, and then as you go down, I, I think you're getting pretty flat for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of where I am with it to be sure. I mean, I, I do have Morant as number two and for the Hawks, it gets weird because like I can almost freely ignore the point guards. Like I, I do right. have to cover the draft, you know, outside of the Hawks every once in a while, but for podcast purposes, for Peace Hoops purposes, I almost just don't even pay attention to Morant. <laughs> Garland and even Kobe White, even though I guess people, some people think that Kobe White could play off the ball. Um, I'm not really one of those. At least, at least, at least with the prism of drafting with, in the, with a top ten pick, you kind of have to think he's a lead guard to take him that high, which kind of leads itself into everybody else. So let's just talk about some of these wings and forwards that could be in play for the Hawks somehow, some way. Um, that that rumor that came across of eight and ten for three, I'm sure it's not as simple as that. It never is. What did you think of that when you saw it? Just in a vacuum, like not really like whether it's serious or not, but just the value proposition of whether the Hawks should, if that deal was available to them, make that kind of deal in this class. I guess the interesting thing to me is that in the context of last year's deal, like last year they picked up an additional asset to take Trey Young and pass on Luka Doncic. And it seems odd to me that you would come into a draft that people generally think is not great and then use that same asset to move up for a player who is probably not 
great. And so my initial reaction was just like, that's a very odd deal for an office that seems to have initially prized itself on adding assets rather than giving them up and pulling the trigger on giving them up so early seems strange to me. Uh, in terms of just like the strict value proposition, are eight and 10 worth three? I don't think so. I'm not as high on RJ Barrett as other people. And I think he would be your presumed target at number three, although potentially, you know, you could go with Jarrett Culver, but either of those players, I'm not sure either of them is worth two shots at guys later in the top 10. Um, and so my initial reaction was that seems out of character. And then also, that's also probably not a deal that I would be super excited about doing. If like this was 2017 and, and Jason Tatum's at three, sure, go for it. Um, but this year, I, I think I'd be pretty skeptical. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we're probably aligned on this. You know, I don't have inside info yet. If I do, I'll pass it along uh, eventually on what the Hawks might think of that kind of deal. Um, but just going off of what you read and what's out there, you know, maybe they consider that at the same time. I think in a, in a quote, normal class or one that's more like last year, the value would be better in doing that. I think this year um, it's so flat that, yes, you'd rather have Barrett or Culver, for instance. Those would be the two guys that I'd be considering at three if I made that trade. Um, if you were the Hawks, I'd obviously rather have those guys than the guys you're going to get at eight and ten. But the gap is just not big enough for me to give up both of my top 10 assets. Now, the other argument would be that, you know, number, the number 10 pick in this draft isn't worth that much because this draft is not that great. And I would agree with you, but I would have the same argument for number three pick. This is not a typical, for me at least, number three pick where you get, where your expectation can be, you know, maybe a star. Like if you buy RJ Barrett, if you are in on RJ Barrett, you probably like him quite a bit. And if that's the case, you probably love that trade. If you don't buy RJ Barrett, because, um, I mean, as much as I like Jarrett Culver, and I've, I've actually said a couple of times I think I'd rather have Culver than Barrett, but that kind of speaks to not loving Barrett. And I am pretty high on Culver, but not necessarily like in a star way. I think he's going to be very good in the NBA. I'm not sure he's going to be a star. And if you're moving up with two top ten picks, you kind of want a guy with, you know, not star like certainty, but someone who you can reasonably expect to have some star um, potential. And I'm not sure that guy is there unless you believe in R.J. Barrett. I think that's exactly right. It's really hard for me to imagine, just sort of based on what's been reported, that any franchise is going to trade up to three to take Culver ahead of Barrett. So, I, I mean, the I only reason why it's even in yeah. play is because I think it was Sean Devaney um, reported before the lottery that the Hawks were maybe going to target Jarrett Culver if they got lucky sure. in the lottery. Um, yeah. But that's that's a month ago now, and it's that was one report, and you know I, I'm sure Sean heard that, and you know. It's a, it's a legitimate thing, I'm sure, but oh, I have not sure. heard that. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but that's the only reason why I might even think that the Hawks might do that because otherwise, everyone's going to think if you're going up four, five spots, that's going to be to get it's going to be to get Barrett. I know there's this yeah. there's this thought process as well with Hawks fans that you know Cam Reddish is someone that keeps being tied tied to the Hawks. I would be pretty floored if they went to three and took Cam Reddish. That would be kind of insane. <laughs> um, yeah, but, that would, that would be insane. But a lot of, but a lot, honestly, because, and I understand the thought process, but a lot of Hawks fans have just heard Reddish's name so often because he's the guy who keeps getting linked to the Hawks over and over and over again. And I can confirm that, that they like Cam Reddish, by the way. But that does not mean they're going to go up five spots to take him at number three overall. That doesn't seem, it's not yeah. impossible, I suppose, that they were just absolutely in love with him, but I just, that seems crazy to me. 
Yeah, it just seems very unlikely to me. And if the target is Culver, I think you can probably uh, safely trade to four or or even lower than that, frankly, five, and give up less. And so um, it, it would just surprise me if somebody traded up to three to take Culver, if that was the target for somebody trading up at three. Um, and then, so like you go. said, yeah, uh, like you said, though, you, you can make that deal if you really trust in R.J. Barrett. I, it sounds to me like neither of us really think he's that type of player, and so neither of us see that value. Maybe someone does. Um, well, I'm people, sure people that someone do. does, right? <laughs> um, but it's not something that excites me. Yeah, I mean he's he's a good prospect. I'm not I'm not trying to crap on Barrett. It's not it's not a shot at him. It's just that I don't I don't want necessarily see all of the, you know, ceiling that some people see. But that's that's okay. He's still a pretty solid prospect and someone who you know in a vacuum you'd like to have. Um, I was gonna ask you. I think you kind of teased it a little bit, like how you would rank. Um, not to put you on a spot with a big board necessarily right now on the sure. podcast, but all the guys that are sort of those this forwards that are considered to be top eight or ten picks, your you know Barrett, Hunter, Culver, and maybe even include Reddish and Nazir Little if you want to. How would you order those guys? I think the consensus is kind of Barrett at the top, and then Hunter and Culver in a tier, and then maybe Reddish and Little in a tier. But people are people vary within that. So how do you view those uh, five guys? Yeah, so I think Barrett would be the top of that tier for me. I think Culver would be close behind. In, in a race where Culver could end up above Barrett for me before draft night. Um, I think that that race is extremely close. I think that you're basically conceding a year of age for Culver uh, for some better stats that tend to project potential, in particular steal percentage. After that, um, I'm very unsure. I think I would probably take Hunter over Reddish at this stage. I'm not very into Cam Reddish, and we can talk about him in depth a little bit more if you want to. And we should, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if uh, Dumbuya fits in this. I probably would still have him above Nasir Little, and then Nasir Little last of that five. Yeah, I mean, Seku, Seku is definitely in the mix, depending on who you ask. I know people that are kind of just out. And I know yeah. people that are really in, so it's he's he's pretty polar. I mean, I guess Little is as well. Those two guys are very polarizing. I still kind of buy Little, I think, more than most people do. Um, but I also understand why people would be out on Little because of how it went in at Carolina and some of the measurables right. and all that stuff. It, he's a little bit scary. Um, let's let's drill in a little bit more on those last three guys because Reddish is the one that keeps getting talked about and the Hawks are linked to so often, and it's a really tough evaluation because of how bad he was <laughs> like he was a he bad, was bad college basketball player he was bad um, which is it's tough to talk about a guy projected as a top 10 pick that was a flat-out bad college basketball player but he was and it just makes it hard so what what do you see with him overall like upside wise there's this thought out there that he has this huge upside which I'm not sure I necessarily see but he also still has some interesting traits that make him uh, appetizing I suppose yeah so generally speaking I think the defense was probably better than we expected he clearly has the size to be a combo forward in the NBA. I question the athleticism. I don't really think it's there at a, an above-average NBA level. The jump shot, I think, probably comes around, and he becomes a decent three-point shooter. I think that the real question that's difficult to evaluate is how much initiation equity he has. Because in high school, that's obviously the thing that he did, right? I don't want to say he played point guard, but he basically played point forward. He handled the ball a ton. And generated offense for his team that way. And in college, he didn't do anything close to that. Uh, and when, and when part, he tried, it wasn't good. 
And when he tried, it wasn't good because I think he lacks the athleticism to score. I think that there were some contextual factors in relationship to Duke, right? Like they didn't have the shooters around him. I think space will certainly help him in that regard. Um, In relationship to the Hawks, by far the weirdest thing about the Cam Reddish to the Hawks thing to me is that when people talk about Reddish to the Hawks, they talk about him in a role that quote-unquote maximizes his strengths, i.e. the perimeter shooting and some of the defensive versatility, etc. right? Like nobody's talking about him coming to the Hawks and engaging in like a heavy amount of ball handling. I think that's fair to say. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe secondary stuff when Trey Young's off the yeah. floor. But yeah, for the most part, I mean, okay. as a full-time role, he would not be the primary guy, for sure. So that's the role that he just got done playing at Duke. And he was bad. So why do people seem to think that Reddish going into that role at another level with more competition, more athleticism, more size, suddenly will make him good at it? It's I don't a, get it. It's a, it's a great question and one that I also have. The only argument in favor would be that what you said earlier is that you know having space on the floor around sure. him you know taking a little bit of pressure off I, I do think that I think you what, what he should like 33 percent from three he was you know that's I think he's going to make shots as a three-point shooter I mean if he doesn't then it doesn't work frankly like if you don't think yeah. he can shoot it's not going to work um, I think he's going to make shots from three you know his finishing is a whole other question I mean, how bad he was on twos which we can talk about but I'm with you. That's the big question for me is I've had the same question that you're asking. It's, you know, the role that we just watched him play would be a similar one in Atlanta. And it's not exactly the same because right. you're playing with more space. You're not, it's not RJ Barrett. It's Trey Young, who is an elite passer and, you know, space is the floor and you have, and you have shooting all over the place and a, and a real lob threat, obviously with Collins and the sort of Zion role in some ways, but it's, it's not perfect. Like it's all projection for me. That's kind of what it comes yeah. down to with reddish. Like, I understand the theory of him. He looks great in an open gym. He's really long. The defense actually is pretty good, and I actually trust his defense more than I thought I was going to. He's not an elite athlete, though. I think there's that's the other big question. It's the, it's the shooting. It's the lack of playmaking that he showed at the college level. And he's not a great athlete. I think people equate him as this great athlete because he looks like he would be a great athlete, mm-hmm. and he's really not. He's fluid, but yep. he's, not, he's not explosive really at all, which – no. Yeah. When, when you're, when, when, I guess when you're that long, you don't have to be super explosive, but like the upside stuff that I always hear about Reddish, it's like, oh, he's this great athlete and all this. Like, I don't really see that. Like, I think I, he's almost more of a, I don't want to say low ceiling, but you almost have to like his floor more than his ceiling if you were going to take Kim Reddish, in my opinion, just because of the defense and the shooting, yeah. like projected role player stuff. But I'm with you. The, the thing about the translation from Duke to the pros, particularly with the Hawks, when he's going to be, he's going to be a supporting piece, has to make you uneasy, even if you like him. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and sort of to further our point, I just pulled up his numbers on hoop math because I was curious. Non-transition offense, 17% of his shots at the rim. That's incredibly low for someone who you would consider to be uh, an athletic, initiator, capable player. And only 50% on those shots. That's atrocious for someone who's six foot nine and supposedly athletic. Um, I, I'm I mean- with you. If you're buying into Reddish and really, really buying into Reddish, you need to buy into the possibility that he has some initiator equity because that's where his upside lies. If you're buying into him as a 3 and D prospect, he's two years younger version of DeAndre Hunter, who is worse at making twos. And, like, that's just – that's fine, right? We, we're yeah, talking I mean, about the- Hunter in this range, but that's not – 
the Cam Reddish that was coming out of high school and people considered potentially the most talented player in the class. Yeah, you're basically, if you're drafting Cam Reddish, and you know, some of the models, I know Kevin Pelton's model likes Cam Reddish, a lot of that's based on his high school stuff. And mm-hmm. that's okay. I mean, if, if you want to basically say throughout the year at Duke, I have trouble doing that because I just watched it all. Like, I just can't unsee some of what we saw at Duke. I, I totally yeah. get the theory behind it. Like, the talent is there if you want to talk about it. But you, you either have to think he can, as you said, have some creator equity, or you think he's going to be a knockdown shooter. And yep. he hasn't proven that. Like, it looks good, but the numbers weren't there. The production wasn't there as a knockdown shooter. And I cannot stress to you, I mean, I know you know this, Chris, but to everybody listening, how bad his finishing was. You know, you shooting less than 40% on twos with his profile at the college level is, like, impossibly bad. Like, I, I mean, yeah. it, it's, like, hard to explain how bad it is. Like, I mean, I, I've been saying this over and over again, but I've never seen a prospect projected in the lottery shoot that poorly on twos. And if I have, it's, like, the, Almost had to be like a five, like a five ten point guard. The like, the last one who was close was Malachi Richardson, and, and I and, hated him as a prospect. And that that worked out great, right? Yeah, I mean, he's, all respect to Malachi, but he he was not going to go in the first round <laughs> until the tournament, and yeah. he yep. also was never going to go in the top eight. Like he was right. a yep. fringe first round prospect, maybe, and then he had a hot tournament for two weeks and got people got excited. But even then, like that's what we're talking about here, and that's that's not a great comp as you sort of allude to. So. The talent yeah. and the EYBL stuff and the pedigree, it's all there. I totally get why people like it, but I, I did a, a sort of like a blind resume on Twitter the other day of Reddish to Nas Little, and like people was talking about how bad Nas Little was in college. Reddish was was like much worse. Yeah, the Nas Little stats are not bad at all. <laughs> They're not. Um, I mean, it's, and you don't, you, don't, you don't have to love him. We, we, should, we, should talk, we should talk about him too, but it's not like pro little necessarily it's just like why why is the conversation so different between these two guys like oh cam reddish will be fine don't worry about his freshman year and then nas little it's like did you see his freshman year he was terrible <laughs> right, i'm like yeah. why, why is it this I, I don't understand why it's so different it's just kind of the same yeah i agree and i want to mention that sub 40 percent two point percentage again i i did some digging i think in will schrieffer's uh database that he put out last year and just sort of pulled up guys who didn't shoot 40 percent on twos it's really hard to find guys who turn into stars. And by really hard, I mean like basically impossible. And I mean, I so can't, I, just, I can't imagine it. It's like maybe if you're yeah. a point guard that can't finish at the rim, but other than yeah. that, man, like if you're six, eight, six, nine, seven, one wingspan, like how do you not nope. shoot 40% on twos in college? Yeah. It's really tough. Really, really tough. And by the way, I mean, I, I know this is going to sound like I'm super low and I'm not, I, I don't think I, I don't, I don't hate Cam Reddish as a prospect. I think at eight, if you if the Hawks stay put at eight and draft Cam Reddish, I won't kill him for it. It makes sure. it makes some sense because this draft, as we talked about before, is not super top heavy. Um, I think that's a reasonable draft pick. If you start talking about trading up for Cam Reddish because you're just in love with him and going up to like four or five to get him, that then I'm out at that point. Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of where I am. Agree. I 100 percent agree with you, um, and I I just think it's important, right? We're both okay with him going eight. I think it's important for people to temper expectations about him if he yep. does. I totally agree with that. Um, before we get into some guys later down the board, um, let's talk about uh, Little and Seku a little bit because those guys, you know, Seku's been mocked to the Hawks quite a bit actually the last couple of weeks, which has been a little bit surprising to me. He's very raw. He's very young. Um, and then Nas, who's still very young as well, and had the interesting freshman season and not great combine, you know, times and stuff like that. Still is pretty long and talented. What did you make of Little before he got to Carolina, number one? And number two, th- how much did this year change? Because his circumstance was almost weirder than Reddish's in that he had to play behind guys who were good and, like, 23. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So it's like a really weird spot for him at Carolina. Yeah. So I got to see him in person at the McDonald's game last year. And that's nice little. And just like everything seemed to click for him that week. And he was a really attractive prospect. He looked like somebody who was going to be able to consistently create his own shot on the wing. He had that really nice moment in that game where he went, uh, he was going one-on-one with Zion and hit him with a step-back jumper to the left side, came down, defended him, and that's the play Zion broke his thumb on. Um, and, and he just really stood out. He's big. He's much bigger than he seems. Uh, the athleticism, I think, sticks. He plays really hard, seems like a good kid. All of that seems attractive. And then he gets to North Carolina and just, like, nothing comes together. And it's really difficult because I don't think anybody has a clear explanation for why other than there were guys in front of him who were good and he couldn't necessarily get on the floor. And when he did get on the floor, things seemed to just go too fast. And I think he's admitted some of that, right? That was part yeah. of his combine interview. Certainly. Um, I like that thoughtfulness and I still trust generally speaking the talent. And I still think that, you know, the numbers like we just mentioned, for him are not bad. Like he put up a block and a steal per 40 minutes, still put up 21 points per 40 minutes, still scored efficiently minus a poor three point percentage, but shot 77% from the foul line. Like it's, it's hard for me to think that in this particular draft class with the quality of prospects that we're talking about, that there's any reason he should be going outside of the lottery and I think for a lot of the time leading up to say the last couple of weeks that's where he is being discussed that seems crazy yeah it, it absolutely does especially when you factor in positional you know the way that the league is moving and the value of yeah guys with two-way potential at the like sort of combo forward spots you know compare compare that to like center prospects and that's one of the big conversations that's happening with the Hawks right now is that you know they're often tied to guys like Jackson Hayes and Goga and it's like okay that's cool. Those guys are talented prospects. Um, but in a vacuum, at least for me, I'm always going to lean on the two-way combo forward versus the center if the talent is relatively equal. Like you have to be a very special center prospect for me to get to be like all in on you as a top 10 prospect with the way the league is going right now. That's just my opinion on it. It's that's just not, not everybody agrees. I know a lot of Hawks fans want a center and I totally understand why. But if you evaluated little as a lottery pick, and you know, there's no reason why you would pass on him just because of his weird freshman season. And people that make me the craziest, I think, are the ones that are all in on Reddish and all out on Little. That, that, <laughs> that, that, that I don't understand at all. Yeah, but, um, I don't get that either. I mean, now that we, we talked about him a little bit, um, I'm going I'm to come back to Seku in a second. But since I mentioned uh, the two the two centers that are often projected in the lottery, sure. and that's Hayes and Goga. Do you like one of those more than the other? And where are you at on just either one of those guys as top 10 prospects? Because the Hawks have that number 10 pick just kind of sitting there and they might be evaluating centers. Yeah, so I like Jackson Hayes more than I like Goga. Um, I understand why some people think that Goga is potentially viable in that range. I would guess that that's a lot higher than he'll actually go. Like it probably wouldn't surprise me to see him go eight to 10 spots lower than that. Um, by the way, he'll, he'll also be 20 in July, which is not super old, but I think people have almost no. forgotten that he's not like 18. He's not super right. duper young either. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, I'm very with you on the why are we spending top 10 picks on bigs? And I think for the Hawks in particular. If they're not special if, anyway. <laughs> if, yeah, sure. Like, look, people spent a bunch of top 10 picks on bigs last year, and that's because they were actually good. Um, but... 
for the Hawks in particular, if you start thinking down the line about how you want to build this team and what your goals are, which I presume are to win a championship, what does a roster look like with John Collins and Jackson Hayes on it? Does that strike you just as rolling off the tongue as a team that is competing with those styles of players, even assuming that they become the best versions of themselves, as a team that's competing deep in the playoffs? I mean, To me, you, the answer is no. If, if you watch the last couple of years of the playoffs, you probably have to say no, just because of the way yeah. that everyone's playing small at the highest levels in crunch time. And, you know, and this is my argument forever that Collins, I thought, was going to be a center, and people yelled at me, was because, you know, go look around at the way the game is played in the fourth quarter of a playoff game. You don't see a lot of guys like John Collins playing power forward. And yeah. he, he's obviously, he was obviously awesome this year at power forward. It's not, it's not anything about John Collins. It's just the the profile of because you have to have a center next to him if you play him power forward. And I guess with Hayes, he's such a fluid athlete. Um, maybe if those guys, if, because they're such they're such interesting athletes, there's they're you know they're long interesting players. If they could both shoot, there's a way it could possibly work. There's, there's no question about that. But if you don't think Jackson Hayes can shoot, that that's where I don't really get it. Like for me, yeah. you have to be able to pair. If this is a Hawks conversation mostly, but it also sort of translates to everybody else. But because you have John Collins and you know the Hawks love him and with good reason, he was a 2010 guy this year. He's really good. Mm-hmm. If you're going to pair him with a center that can't shoot. That's not going to work, I don't think. So I don't if, either. If Jackson Hayes, I mean, maybe maybe they think that he can shoot, and the, the people there are people in the uh, in the industry that think he's going to be able to shoot eventually. Sure. If you think that, then okay, I, I sort of see it. If you don't think that he can shoot it, there's a real ceiling on that. Even if he turns out to be awesome, like there's this, you know, this is sort of a sidebar, but people think that Hawks should trade for Clint Capella, and I'm like, no, that doesn't that doesn't work. I mean, as, and, and it's not a shot at Clint Capella. But that's the same problem. Clint Capella yeah. is like what you think Jackson Hayes could be. And I don't see that. Like, Clint Capella is a good player. But if you have him and John Collins both roll into the rim, Capella can't shoot at all. Like, you're just very easy to guard at that point in time. I know Collins can shoot it now, but it's just it's just a very, it's just that thing where you have to look and just watch the highest levels of the game and see how it works. And you're just so easy to guard if you play a center that can't shoot. Yeah. Kind of, unless that guy is just incredible, which I don't think Jackson Hayes is going to be. Maybe he is. I mean, he does have upside. He's a really good athlete. He's fluid. He's long. He's talented. He's young. I get all that. It's not a shot Jackson Hayes at all. But you got to believe the best possible scenario for him to think, you know, this is a championship-level front court when you, com- when you combine him with Collins, who is, you know, for all of his strengths, is still a sort of a hybrid 4-5 in my opinion. I think you're right on there entirely. Um, I also think it's worth pointing out the the other aspect of this conversation is that if Jackson Hayes at 10 is as good as you think he is and comes around to that contract and you end up giving him that Clint Capella money, we've seen how difficult that makes constructing the rest of your roster. Yeah. Because bigs are replaceable and it's generally just better to devote larger percentages of your cap to those two-way wing guys. And I think that the draft, I think we're finally starting to see it this year, if I'm being totally honest with you, that the way that people are thinking about prospects is pushing some of those bigs down. For example, Daniel Gafford was projected as a lottery pick last year. I don't think a lot has changed other than he got forced to post up this year and was bad at it, even though that's not something he'll have to do in the NBA. He's he's um, the same he's the same player he was a year ago, and in a worse yeah. draft, is now going to go like fifteen spots lower. Right, and 
I think some of that is just like people have realized they don't have to take bigs in the lottery. And it's not clear to me what it is that has people saying, like, I got to get Jackson Hayes in the lotto. And I mean, with, with Hayes, I could sort of see it a little bit more, just to, just to play devil's advocate, just because he's such a interesting athlete. You know, he was sort of a late bloomer. Sure. I, got, got, I mean, I, I sort of get it more, like, from a fan perspective. You look at Jackson Hayes, and you're thinking, that guy could be a freak athlete upside guy because of how late he is and how raw he is now on the tools. But yeah. I still, I, I'm still with you, by the way. I'm just trying to point out, like, but the guy, like, you mentioned Denim Gafford's a great example. Also, like, Bruno Fernando, like, sure. in a couple a couple of years ago, Bruno Fernando might have been a top 10 pick. With the way yeah. that he looks and the way that he played this year at Maryland and his and his length, but he's also a 20-year-old pure center. I don't see a ton of upside with him. Like, he's a first-round caliber prospect. I'm not trying to kill Bruno, Bruno Fernando, but that's the kind of guy you can get elsewhere. Or at least right. a 90% facsimile of that. So why would you use a top 10 pick on that guy? Yeah. I mean, the thing that I, I guess that sort of sticks out to me is like, if I said, what is the gap between Jackson Hayes and say, um, I mean, Daniel Gafford. Nick, yeah. I was going to say like Nick Claxton, Bruno Fernando, Daniel Gafford. The answer is like, not super massive probably. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, honestly, from a safety perspective, you could convince me that Bruno Fernando is safer than Jackson Hayes. Like yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily argue that, but like I would still take Hayes. I mean, I, I, I I've been saying that sure. Hayes is my top center prospect in this class for like three months, but yeah. that doesn't mean that he should be going any higher than he's supposed to go. Like he's not the, the gap to your point and the overall exercise. It's a, it's a good point. It's just that the gap is not that big. And we we've seen it this year, just from a Hawks perspective, they had Dwayne Dedman who they unearthed granted they, they made him, learn how to shoot and he was suddenly awesome at shooting threes which was weird but that's a guy who they found for very little money got a good bargain on him and he was suddenly a top 20 center in the league and that's you know it's all about fit and it's not always going to work out that way but even Alex Lynn they bought low in Alex Lynn Alex Lynn was a very solid rotation center this year making very little money and he's I mean what are the chances that that one of these guys like Daniel Gafford is going to be any better than Alex Lynn like yeah not that high honestly yeah, and and then when you flip that on its head and say, okay, let's look at the wings there. Like, what's the gap between Nasir Little and say like Kaziak Paula and Dylan Windler, who are like, you know, I mean, talent wise, it's bigger. I mean, there's no right. there's no question yeah. about that. And, and plus, I guess that's sort plus of my positional point. scarcity argument. I mean, yeah. every single team. Look at even the teams that made it deep. I mean, look look at the Warriors right now. The Warriors would kill to have another wing or two. Mm-hmm. Like they're playing off Alfonso McKinney. Like regularly, even when everybody's <laughs> healthy, he was playing. I'm not, and that's not again, I'm not yeah. a shot at him. He's been, he's been fine. But I mean, I, I know, I know they have injuries, but even when they were fully healthy, they were still playing with Alfonso McKinney or Quinn Cook minutes. And that's the yeah. Warriors. Like the Raptors are, I mean, Norm, Norm Powell is a pretty solid player. It's not, like, not the best example. Like, like Philly couldn't find one backup wing. I mean, they were playing James Ennis and like praying after that. Every single team in the league needs competent wing play. Like with very few, maybe maybe Boston's like the only team in the league that you wouldn't say needed another wing this year. Sure, but I mean twenty six of twenty six of thirty teams needed one more wing, including some really really good teams. There's just not enough of these guys out there. So if you can if you can get those guys, and by the way, everybody has too many bigs, other than Philly, who had no backup center. <laughs> everybody else has too many bigs. Yeah, that's just and, the way and, the league works. And there's there's some difficulty there, right? Like you need the bigs to get you through the eighty two game season, oh, sure. but not really to get it through the sixteen. But still, I just think that the value proposition of taking a wing at 10 and taking one of those bigs with an early second round pick 
is pretty is a lot better than taking a big at 10 and a wing with an early second rounder in this class in particular and and generally speaking probably too um unless like you mentioned you're getting one of those special bigs at at that spot yeah for sure i know that's a long we sort of did a long sidetrack there but it's also i think it's worth discussing yeah Um, and it's super important for where the hawks are at in this draft i think especially given you know jackson hayes is is one of the guys who i think that people will heavily mock to them at 10 and and they have been. I mean, he's probably the most frequent number ten pick in mocks that I've seen, and yeah. I, I get why for all the reasons we just discussed. But for me, I, I'm more I'm more apt to take, even if you didn't love one of these guys like like Nas or Seku, I'm I'm more willing to take one of those guys at ten, and then take whatever whoever the if you if you're just in love with having to have a center in this draft, which I'm not necessarily, but if you just say you have to take a center, you know, take whoever's still there at thirty five, sure, with the pick they have. Even if it's like Nas Reed, who I don't like very much, like he does. I mean, it's John or Jonte. If you want to take a swing on Jonte Porter, who's obviously has the health stuff, but is really talented. There's there's lots of different guys you can get a uh, a look at in the second round of this class that make a lot of sense. Um, is there anybody we haven't talked about that you think should be in play at ten? And we talked about a bunch of the guys there, but like, are you are you high on Grant Williams? Are you high PJ Washington? Are you high on Kevin Porter Jr.? Like anybody? Is is there a guy that we haven't talked about or Brandon Clark? Is there somebody that we haven't discussed that you like? up that high i mean i like brandon clark a lot but for the same reasons sort of and and maybe he makes more sense than jackson hayes i like him a little more than jackson hayes probably but for some of the same reasons we just discussed i'm not sure that the brandon clark um john collins front court is is the way of the future um maybe the the value proposition on clark there is too good and you should just take him because the numbers say he's going to be great but I also don't know that he aligns with what the Hawks are looking at in terms of a timeline, right? I mean, four years down the road when probably their best young players are going to be good, he's going to be 27. Yeah, I mean, um, he, he doesn't feel I – mean, he's not a very Hawksy player in a lot of ways in this yeah. regime. You know, they, they've they've leaned on guys who can dribble past shoot. He's not a shooter right now. He could shoot in the future. They've leaned on offense, um, which he was obviously really good this year. But he's old. He'll be 23 in September. Like, he doesn't – he'd be a very – anti-Hawks pick in this regime, which I, I, I like Brandon Clark, and I think he'd be just fine at 10. I think he's a very interesting prospect, but he would not be a typical Hawks guy. Yeah, um, I tend to agree with that. I, I don't know that there's anybody that really deserves heavy mention there. I like Grant Williams too, but I just like don't think that's realistic at all. You're not, you're not, you're not all in on him at like number five, <laughs> like, like, like draft Twitter is now? That's, that's, I am not fine. all in on Grant Williams that high. I do like Grant Williams a lot. I think he's really good. The basketball IQ is great. The short role playmaking is great. I think that he has some potential to shoot it. He's also like 6'6", six, six and I mean, there's just he just doesn't have the margin for error that some of these other guys have even if some of these other guys are potentially um, worse basketball players right now than he is. Oh, yeah. I mean, pro- they are worse basketball players probably. Yeah. Most of these guys are. But if yeah. you, you know, if the Hawks traded down, I would really like Grant Williams. Like, he, he makes sure. a lot of sense for the Hawks. I would not take him in the top 10. I, just don't, I don't really see the upside. That's kind of where I am. I think he's going to be a good basketball player, and I think I've always thought I was higher on him than most people were. I guess I'm learning that I'm wrong about that. But <laughs> I think he's somewhere, for me, like in the mid to late teens, which is – I think it's right. kind of high on him, honestly. Um, yeah. And and by the way, if you if you read some mock drafts from people that know things, uh, like like Sam and the ESPN guys, they usually have him in the twenties, and that's kind of where the league has yeah. him. I think. Yes. Um, so I think that's right. Putting that out there. Um, 
Anybody else? You know, PJ Washington, maybe? I don't know. Uh, Romeo Langford? Are, sure. are you the last people that still likes Romeo Langford? Okay. I like Romeo Langford, I think, more than most people do. I'll, I'll cop to that. <laughs> um, if, he, if, if he could shoot, man, I would be in. Yeah. It's like if he could shoot, right? If Romeo Langford shot 35% from three this year, how high in the draft does he go? Um, like, probably higher than Cam Reddish, right? Yeah, I think he'd be. He'd probably be in the discussion with at least in the discussion with Hunter and Reddish in that six, seven, eight range, probably. Yeah, and and I think that there's like some contextual stuff that's come out about him, some injury stuff that makes. Was there like a thumb? Like, is it thumb or hand? There's or something a thumb like that thing, him? and I think some people have mentioned a back thing. So like, there are some reasons to think that maybe he wasn't able to shoot as well as he should. But in terms of like shot creation on the wing, some size, better defense than expected, like. Romeo Langford's probably a better player than he's getting credit for right now, even if he's like probably not likely to be very good. Yeah, so I, I, I feel okay. I don't. I don't love his fit in Atlanta either, just from a Hawks perspective, because sure. we're on a Hawks podcast. I do think the hate might have gone too far on Langford in a vacuum, um, but he needs the ball, and I'm not sure. Yeah, he's good enough to need the ball. If that makes sense, that's kind of the question about Romeo. Is like if you can't shoot, then it's tough to run your offense yeah. through him. But uh, yep. he's still the talented. Same, the same Cam Reddish, same Cam Reddish question pops up again here. Potentially Nasleyel question. Um, I will say you just mentioned the possibility of like what happens if they trade down or if they traded down and got Grant Williams, you'd be okay with that. Like I'm more interested in the Hawks trading down from eight or ten than I am in them packaging those to trade up. <laughs> you and I, you and I agree on this. I've been saying that for like three yeah. months now. This is a, this is a trade down well, draft, like, not a trade up draft. Yeah, like what happens if they trade down and take any of the guys we've just talked about, P.J. Washington, Brandon Clark, Grant Williams, something like that. That seems fine and pretty good. Uh, If they trade down and take Tyler Hero and just like lock up some shooting, now like can you survive with a – never mind. You can't survive with a defensive perimeter of like Trey Young, Tyler Hero, and Kevin Herter. Uh, Kevin Herter's fine on defense, honestly. He really is going to be fine, I think. Sure. uh, but, Trey is not going to be fine, so yeah, it's not going to work. Yeah, uh, yeah never I mean, mind. But no, I'm, I, the only drop, and I think every time I put this out there, I want to see how, what you think about this. Every time I say the Hawks, or any team, honestly, outside of the Pelicans in this draft, probably would be better off trading down than up. The pro, the pushback that I get is that the Hawks already have five picks. And it's like, well, guys, you don't have to trade down in this draft only. You can you could trade down yeah. and get a future asset like what, what the Hawks did last year. We saw them do this last year. They went down two spots and got a future pick. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be for multiple picks in this draft only. It could also be for another player. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, trading ten for you know two of the Boston picks. It's not yeah. it's not what it's not what it has to be. So just keep that in mind when like, and this is more of a fan thing, obviously, but keep that in mind when talking about this. I think the value in that is better than going up. It doesn't mean that, that I think it's going to happen necessarily, but you know just. If, if you assume that if you believe us that the draft is flat, if you are on board with that, you want to go down, not up. That's just kind of the easy general rule there. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, maybe instead of Tyler Hero, we would give them Nikki Alexander Walker. That would be fine. I know, I know, um, I know. A friend of the program, Jeff Siegel, loves Nikki Alexander Walker. Yeah, I mean, he's a little better defensively, has a little bit more uh, creation offensively. I think um, he'd he'd be fine there too. Yeah, he would actually um, yeah, fit very well. In Atlanta, I think. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the options, basically, if you train down from 10 down into that uh, late teens, early 20s range, like you can you can accrue a lot of value there if you're able to get another asset on top of that. So I think we discussed, um, I'm more like, interested in that. I think we talked about almost every guy in this range so quickly. 
the two guys that we didn't discuss by name, at least, are Rui Hachimura and Kevin Porter Jr. I am very out on both of them, so uh, maybe I'm wrong. But what do you think about those two guys? Maybe not, maybe not at ten, obviously, but in the trade down scenario, would you be interested in those guys? And how do you feel about both of them? Yeah, I am not super interested in Rui Hachimura. Uh, I'm not on that train. I'm not a big fan of 21 year olds who lack feel. I understand all of the arguments for why. Those things don't matter. He hasn't played basketball forever. He came to the U.S. He lost in a development year because he didn't speak English. I get all of that. I really, really do. But just like it's so hard to develop that level of feel. And at 21 years old, I just like really doubt that it ever comes. There's no doubt he might be a useful NBA player, but I don't see a ton of the upside. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. is a little bit more difficult to me. I really trust I really, really trust the ability to create and make shots. Um, There are a few guys his size in this draft who can reliably create space for their jumpers. Um, And I think we saw flashes of him where he was just great at doing that this year. The problem is, like, what else does he bring to the table? And <laughs> The problem is literally everything else that Kevin Porter yeah, does. Yeah, and then, like, some of the questionable off-court stuff or approach to the game stuff, however you want to phrase it, that caused him to, like, not play some this year. Um, I think all of that's a lot of concern. But, like, shot creation-wise, if he puts it all together, like, there's a chance he's a really interesting prospect. So I'm probably a little higher on him than you are. Is he someone I would be looking to target if I was Atlanta and moving down? Probably not, because I think he's going to be someone who does his best work with the ball. Yeah. Um, but I think he's an, a more interesting prospect probably than you do, um, but I'm certainly on board with you about Rui. Yeah, I, I will say I do think that Porter is better in a vacuum than he would be through a Hawks-only prism. Because of what you said, I think he has a pretty defined skill set of what he can do, which is not really what the Hawks need. Um, yeah. So that's just something. And I'm by the way, I'm just predisposed to not liking what he does. Like I'm, I'm someone. I know my, I know my own biases. And I know that <laughs> guys who shoot and score and don't do anything else do not appeal to me in the way they yeah. do for everybody else. So I know that about myself. It's not a. Uh, just one of those things you have to know about yourself. Uh, so that's why I'm lower on Porter Jr. He's not a bad prospect. He's still very talented, and the upside's real because of the shot creation. Like, that's really intriguing in some spots. Just not what I would be uh, looking for, necessarily. Um, Who else? Oh, okay. Let's, let's talk a little bit before I let you get out of here about what the Hawks might do in the second round, because uh, there are a few people that I trust to talk about guys in the 30s in this class, and you were one of them, so congratulations on that. Um. So the Hawks have these three picks, 35, 41, 44. Uh, Travis Schlenk has said repeatedly that they have no interest in bringing in five rookies. So there's going to be a trade or a stash or both, I would imagine. But um, do you have favorite guys who could be available at 35, 41? Like, you know, some of my personal favorites that could, maybe, maybe not will be available in that range, or like Ty Jerome. I'm, I'm all in. I love Ty Jerome. Matisse Teibel, same kind of thing. Chumo Kiki. Those are kind of my guys in that range. Um, but they could all be gone, frankly. It would not be a surprise if they were all gone by 35. So do you have do you have favorites that could be second-round kind of prospects? Yeah, so I think the most likely of those three to be there is Okiki. I do really like him. Uh, I would obviously like him more if he did not have a torn ACL. <laughs> that part, I think, is, is a pretty big bummer. Um, I, think he those, probably, I think he might be like a – I think he probably would be in the first round if he didn't tear his ACL. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I think that's – 
that's 100% correct. Yeah. I think that that's very correct. Um, we talked a little bit about this earlier. I think that there is good value in some of the bigs here if you uh, miss out on taking one at 10. So the like Nick Claxton, Bruno Fernando, Daniel Gafford, uh, maybe even Jonte Porter in this range if you're willing to accept the injury risk there. I think that there are a lot of talented bigs in this area. Do I think all of them are relevant playoff guys? No, not necessarily, but I think they can get you through the 82-game stretch and maybe a round of the playoffs, and you don't have to pay them very much, most likely. And so that seems great. Um, I like in this range, I think that this is Grant Williams' range, potentially at 35. He would have to slip a little bit to get there, but I think you're more likely to get him at 35 than you are at 10. I think, I think I think Ben Pfeiffer just died just then when he heard this on this Look, podcast. I like so. Trent Williams more than thirty fifth pick, but like it's not out of the question that no, I think he got mocked thirty fifth pick. <laughs> I think I think I think Gavoni and Schmitz had him at thirty two in their mock on Monday. Like, yeah. I'm not saying it's going to happen because it probably won't, but it's not impossible. Which is also if if you like Grant Williams package 35 and 41 and move up into the back of the first and take yeah, it. Yeah, just fine. go get go go get him or whoever. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I, I think the Hawks certainly could do is just package and go up and future second round, whatever you want to do, um, they could go ahead and do that if they wanted to. Yeah. Uh, Isaiah Roby's a guy I like in this range pretty okay. Uh, I do think that the numbers there are quite good. I think that the defense is good. I think that there's some potential for creation. The athleticism stuff checks out. The obvious question is whether or not he has any chance to shoot it at all. Um, the answer is like probably not, but you know who knows? Maybe um, some of the guys you mentioned are, are great to me. I just don't know if they're going to be able to fall that far. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of who else that could maybe be there that I really like. Um, Dylan oh, Windler is fine. Yeah, he's often linked to the Hawks. He's a very Hawksy kind of guy because he can shoot it a lot. Yeah, and the Hawks like that. Um, this may not be a 35 guy, but what do you make of Talon Tell- Horton Tucker? Because he is super polarizing. I uh, see so people have him in the second round. People have him in the top 10, which is, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. He is that pol- oh, Like him yeah. and Bull Bull are the two guys that are like completely and utterly polarizing. So what do you make of both of them? Both of them. But we'll, I'll start, start with Horton Tucker because I'm kind of low, but I also understand what people are trying to see with him. Yeah, I certainly understand what people are trying to see. It's the fact that he's one of the youngest, maybe the youngest prospect in the draft. I think he's younger than Sekou. Um, I just don't get it. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just don't get it. The likelihood of him shooting is almost nil. We're talking about somebody who shot 31% on threes, 62.5% from the foul line over 88 attempts. Not a ton of attempts, but a decent number. Worse than 50% on twos. Like, I just... I really don't get it. Like, man, if you check the YouTube highlights, there's some good Taylor Horton Tucker tape. He looks awesome. But like, if you, watch, you watch him play, <laughs> like a full game of Taylor Horton Tucker, it's like, hey, man, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's pretty bad. Well, that's like that's so, like Bo Bo. I mean, the thing about Bo Bo that I've been yeah. saying, there's there's still Hawks fans that think they think he should go like in the top five. And I'm like, no. yeah, if, if you just watch his his best moments and think about his talent, sure. And then you watch him play defense for like four possessions, and you want to claw your eyes out. If you just watch, is it the Iowa play where he like blocks the three, sprints down the court with the ball in his hand and shoots a fadeaway in the left corner? It looks like it looks Dude. like a Hall of Famer. I mean, I, I yeah. totally get lock, why lock people like top him. Five. 
but it's the, the whole notion that he's a good defender is it, just based on blocks. I just want to okay. – I, I can't handle it. He's so bad on defense. I was going to say counterpoint. Have you seen his block numbers? That's, that's I mean, they're really high. <laughs> like, that's I mean, it. That's the argument. That if you have a 7-8 wingspan, that's what's going to happen. actually make. Um, yeah. So here's my bull bull hot take. If someone is willing to commit to playing zone defense for the minutes that he's on the floor, he's an interesting player. And, and zone defense I, is coming back, Chris. Zone defense is making its way in the league. Yeah, man. Bill Self's coming because he's bringing the box in one. So I mean, th- there it's... was a really good. I think it was Jared Dubin, <laughs> friend of the program, wrote a really good uh, zone defense thing. Talked to a lot of people um, during yeah. the season, and it's kind of it's kind of coming back, and people are using it a lot. And I'm kind of with you. Maybe Bull Bull figures it out, but um, right now it it's it's not great. But he's super talented, so I yeah, get it. I mean, if if the Bull Bull thing is. Use your length, stand in the middle, block shots. You don't have to move that much because we're going to play a zone defense around you. Like, that's reasonably interesting because the offensive upside and skill is real. Um, but he's certainly nowhere near a top five pick. No. I'm not excited about him as a prospect because I think it's very unlikely that he gets put into a situation that's optimal for him to succeed in because, like you said, the defense is bad. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not into really either of those guys. It's high as uh, some folks are. Um, at 35, if you want to take a shot at Taylor Horton Tucker, certainly go for it. Yeah, that's like, f- it's fine there. Like, It's more of the people that think he's like should go in the top 15, 20. I yeah, know. I mean, we can pass on him at 10. I'm good on him like, at 10. People, a lot of people are searching for upside in this class, and there is an argument that Taylor Horton Tucker has it because he's 18 years old, and he's young, and, and that's long. something and long, and those are things that statistical models tend to like a lot. Um, but, and, and the same thing is true for Bull. Like, Bull does things that centers don't do, and statistical models love the fact that Bull does statistical things that centers don't do. But just like, at some point, you got to watch him play a little bit, and there has to be a balance between those analytics. And like, look, I'm as big as a fan as using analytics in the draft process as just about anybody. Um, it's just really hard to see how bowl translates. I think it's very difficult if you look at some of those numbers with Taylor Horton Tucker to see how he translates to, um, and, and they're just not guys that I'm super excited about. Yep. I'm, uh, with you all the way. Oh, I wanted to ask about one more guy before I let you go. I think this is going to be the last one. Um, are you a Darius Basley fan? No. <laughs> He is no, someone I've found people really like or don't, and that's interesting. I mean, for me, at 35 or 41, then sure. Like, just, you know, the upside's yeah. kind of interesting. But uh, I'm not I'm not super in either, but wh- why don't why don't you like him? Because he's someone who people are asking about a lot because of uh, the way he looked at the combine at times. Yeah, so I admittedly haven't seen a ton of him, obviously, over the last year. But um, I saw him at McDonald's. And the thing that you said earlier, I forget who you said it about, maybe Romeo Langford. Someone who needs the ball and is at their best with the ball, but is probably not good enough to deserve it. That was the thing that when I saw Basley play, Basley play in high school was very much something that I thought about him. He was someone who wanted the ball to shoot a lot, and it just didn't seem like the skill level was there to demand it. Now, maybe the combine stuff's real, maybe the shooting stroke is better, maybe the defense is better, and, and that's the kind of guy you're going to get. And if you get that, that's great. Um but he's just not really been someone I've been super excited about throughout the process. That makes uh, sense. I think we're probably pretty close on him as well. We, we agree a lot, Chris, which That's is great. Probably, not great, probably not great radio, but it's just one of those things that happens. Um, 
Oh, this is just a personal question, so everybody everybody can log off now if they'd like to. Um, who's your favorite <laughs> Michigan player in this draft? Ooh, wow. Um, and, by, and by the way, all three Michigan early entries did not get drafted in the ESPN mock that came out Monday, and I wanted to claw my eyes out because that would hurt my soul. But I just want, I had to ask you this question. Who's my favorite Michigan player? You got Iggy, you got you got Charles Matthews, who I absolutely adore, and Jordan Poole, who I adore less. But he's more I know it's not. I know it's not Jordan Poole. Uh, yeah, um, it's, he's not. He's not mine either. Uh, before before I let you answer I, this, Charles Matthews is super interesting because I can't remember who was it that worked out against him and just got murdered, reportedly in, in an individual but workout. Don't let your guy work out against Charles. Charles <laughs> Matthews a, is the Javon Carter of this year's. That's exactly what I was going like, to say. It's like don't let your dude do it. Why? I mean, Charles Matthews will, will just eat you alive. That's all he can do. Yeah, but he will eat you alive. Oh man. I think it might still be Matthews for me. Like we know that he's gonna play. He's fine. But he is fine. we know that the, the Charles Matthews defense is gonna play. And like if you can get anything out of him offensively, he's probably a rotation guy. And maybe the defense is good enough to make him a rotation guy even though the shooting is terrible. So it's probably him for me. Um, but man, like it's like asking who the best Kansas prospect is in this class. And like, I went to Kansas, so I think about that a lot. And it's like, yeah, oh, no, they're all bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's more painful because there was a brief moment when I was like, oh, what if they all come back and they're yeah. number one in the country? And then they all left <laughs> together. And they all left yeah. to be like outside the top 40 picks. It's like, oh, yeah, guys, why did yeah. you do this to me? But no, it's uh, I, I actually agree with you. I, I have long said that Matthews – is someone I would take in the top 50 just because, sure. you know, his, his one major skill is better than most of the major skills of anybody in this range. Like if you look, if you look at the second, second round prospects, who is, who is better at, at one thing than Charles Matthews is at, at playing defense. Uh, Dylan Windler and shooting maybe, maybe, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, Jonte is different because it's just it's all injury stuff. Sure. But like, other than that, like, there are just not a lot of guys who yeah. have a skill better than Charles Matthews is on defense, and that's kind of what I'm betting on. And and truthfully, like that skill. I mean, Windler's shooting plays here too, but like that skill is super important for getting on the floor. I mean, right? like, I guess yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, the 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 counter argument would be if he just can't shoot, he's unplayable, which I, I understand. Yeah, but there are plenty of dudes who are really good at defense that still get minutes. So, but I guess and and like I think it's a little harder if you're just great at shooting to get minutes. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, okay, um, that's probably good enough. Oh, I have to ask you this last thing. Uh, I'm sorry for all of the questions. You're okay. Uh, who is your guy in this class? Open-ended question. Who is your guy in all, in all capital letters in this class? I know, I know you hate this class. So it's, it's a tough question. So who's your guy? I really just want to say Zion, but like I mean, you can't. You can say Zion. I mean, there's like varying levels of Zion love to where some people think that he is LeBron. Like really, like he's on that, that level as a prospect. And then some people are more like, yeah, he's number one, but he's not that special kind of thing. I mean, he's obviously special as an so, athlete, but I mean as a prospect. So I think Zion is the best college basketball prospect since sometime before Anthony Davis. Well, then I think you, he's then a you, you, then you can claim Zion. Davis. I will allow you to claim Zion based on that description. Um, like probably since like Kevin Durant, maybe is the fair answer there. I guess you, you like mean, you, you, you mean Greg Oden? Greg you mean Greg Oden? Chris? Right, right. I was going to say you have to include <laughs> Greg Oden in that conversation. 
Um, I think Zion's going to be really, really good. I think it's uh, very unfair to say that Zion is my guy in this draft, but... Um, I mean, I, based on that only, and I don't, we haven't talked about this before, <laughs> based on that only, I think you're allowed. Just because right, that is higher, certainly higher than I am on him. And I, I think Zion is obviously far and away number one pick. I yeah. am not... I am not in the camp of like that he's an absolute can't miss superstar. I think he yeah, can't miss fair. in terms of being really good, but I'm not in the camp of he's going to be a top five player in the league, no question about it, kind of guy. Which people are people are there on him, which I understand. He's that talented. Yeah, um, I'll throw another one out, and I don't even know if he's going to be good, but I just like him. Uh, Keldon Johnson is someone I like. He's fallen I, I really, way too far. I really like. Don't know if he's going to be good. But, like, at 8 a.m. during the McDonald's practices, Keldon Johnson was just, like, out there yelling at everyone and trying to hype up the team. And he just, like, seems like the kind of dude you want in your franchise. And I don't know if he's going to be a good enough basketball player because I think there are real questions related to, like, the quality of the jump shot, the athleticism, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, I just like that dude and think that it would be cool to see him succeed. I'm uh, I'm good with that. That's a, that's a good guy to have, and not and he's somebody who just never gets talked about because he's so boring. Yeah, he's Which not is, interesting. It, at all. it can be a good thing, honestly. I, I I think I've I've even argued that it is a good thing because he's just going to be someone who's in an NBA rotation for a long time, and yeah. he may not be sexy at all. But if you get that guy at like 20, that's really good. That works. Yeah. So, especially especially in this class where there is not not a lot of uh, <laughs> not a lot of sex appeal, as as one as one might say. All right, yeah. Chris, I've, I've taken way too much of your time. Please plug. Yourself, I know you are all over the place and uh, doing lots of work this time of year, so please tell people where they can find your work, my friend. Yeah, so the best place to find my work is over at Sporting News, and then anything I write, I will tweet out at Seastone Hoops on Twitter. You need to tweet more, just as a uh, as man. A I gotta be honest with you, I'll, I'll be very straight up. I quit tweeting as much uh, and, and sort of disengaged because I think Twitter is uh, a terrible place. So, I think you're probably right about that. Um, um, I really slowed down. On, I don't. On I don't blame you. I, I'm not sure I could do it, but I totally understand the thought process. It took a lot. Like I moved Twitter off of the like front page of my iPhone. I moved it into a folder. Like I, I got a dig to go find it, basically. And That's so I like it. it. It took some work. Um, I may try to tweet a little bit more over these next couple of weeks, <laughs> but the fact that I have not been tweeting as much is very much intentional. Well, no, no pressure from me. I, I don't want to be responsible for leading you down the wrong path, Chris. I can't, I can't take, I can't take responsibility for that. But uh, you, should, you should still follow Chris anyway to make sure you get all of his uh, actual content, his written content, because that'll be there, and it's great. So thank you for joining thank me you. as always. Uh, we'll do it again. Um, maybe, maybe after the draft. But if, not, if nothing sure. else, think something crazy happens, I'll, uh, I'll bug you again, and we'll talk more about the 50 guys we probably talked about in the last hour. So I really appreciate it. Sounds awesome. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast on Himalaya or anywhere else you like to listen to podcasts. And we'll see everybody later on in the week.